In a few moments, you'll experience the live stream from LifePoint Church. I'm so glad that you're here to join us for that experience. At our church, our mission is to influence people to find and follow Jesus. We want to see people find Jesus, in other words, believe in him for their salvation. And then after that, we want to see those believers follow Christ in a life of wholehearted devotion. All of our energy and effort is put into serving you, helping you experience that. So maybe you're joining us from another part of the world or another state in the United States. We're glad that you're here. My encouragement to you would be wherever you are in the world, find a local body of believers to get involved with. Don't let this be your church alone. And then for those of you that are in our local area or maybe even part of our church family, Perhaps some of you are on vacation or some of you have kids that are sick or for whatever reason you decided to stay in this weekend. And I would just invite you to consider not using our live stream as a substitute for the church experience. Make sure you're involved in community. We have the wonder of technology to take advantage of experiencing a service through computer and in our own homes, but that's not the church. I would invite you to come and be part of community. You can do that especially through small groups here at our church. I would invite you to get connected with people, share life together, be part of what God is doing in each other's lives. It's a very powerful thing. And then, of course, as you're watching via live stream, I would invite you to participate in the act of worship through giving. I would, I would encourage you to go on to our website, lifepointchurch.us. There you can find a tab to click, and you can be a part of this experience through the giving of your gifts. My deepest prayer is that God would use the experience of this service to change you, to draw you closer to himself. I hope you enjoy this time together. We're so glad that you're here this week. We're in week five of our series, This Is Us. And this series is kind of about us as a church and who we want to be and who we want to become and about what we value. And so that's what we're focusing on uh, throughout this series. We, we a couple weeks ago, a couple, a couple years ago, actually, not weeks, but years ago, we started asking ourselves some questions. You know, our mission at LifePoint is to influence people to find and follow Jesus. And one of the questions that we asked was, okay, how do we know that we are? How do we know that we're following Jesus? How do we know that we're influencing people to find him? How do we know that we're doing what we're trying to do? And what does that look like? What does someone that finds and follows Jesus look like? And so, you know, we, we started talking about that. It's like, is, are there benchmarks? Are there barometers? Are there things that we can look at that can kind of give us indicators that, yeah, we are growing, we are moving, we're becoming the people that we want to become. And we came up with a list. We said, okay, someone that is following Jesus 
is going to exhibit these characteristics. We call them the characteristics of a Christ-like influencer, and there's five of them. Someone that is growing and is following Jesus is going to be a person that surrenders continually, and someone that loves extravagantly, and someone that invests relationally, someone that gives generously, someone that engages with God daily. And so if these things are becoming true in our lives, if these are the characteristics that we actually live out, then we can be pretty confident that we're growing and we're following Jesus. We're becoming the people that we want to become and that we want to be. And this week, we're going to look at the third one on the list, which is invest relationally. And this is my absolute favorite. I'm so glad that I got this topic because this is how I think about faith. This is how I I think about following Jesus. I cannot conceive of engaging with God and engaging in my faith without outside of the context of relationships. Investing in relationships is is at the core of what I do. This is absolutely my favorite. It's the best one. Joe will argue with that, but it is. Relationships, if you think about it, they're the places in life where we find the greatest joy. They're also the places where we find the greatest pain. They affect us more deeply, I think, than anything else in life. Think about this statement. I am who I am today because of Who are you filling that blank in with? Who are those people in your life that you look back and you say, I am who I am today because of? I I bet you there's a list of people. There's lots of people that you could think of. There's tons of people that I can think of. I want to tell you about one this morning. His name is Wes Scott. Wes is someone that I met when he was a freshman in high school. I was in college. I was doing high school ministry. And I had the opportunity to start investing in Wes Uh, Wes was in a small group of guys that I was working with, and as I invested in Wes, as we got to know each other, I saw Wes grow. I saw him go from being a boy into being a man. I watched him discover gifts that he didn't know he had, and he discovered a talent in music. He began playing in the high school worship team. He began playing here. Uh, I I watched as he grew. I watched as he he fell in love with an amazing girl. I got to officiate at his wedding. And later, as as our friendship continued, um, Wes actually returned the favor. Uh, There was a time when I was in a really dark place, and his friendship was one of the things that that helped get me through that. Wes has marked my life incredibly. But on May 30th, 2017, Wes went home to be with Jesus. See, one of the things that Wes dealt with, one of the things that he faced was he had cystic fibrosis. And he had two lung transplants and complications from the second one ultimately took his life. And, you know, that was something that Wes and I talked about throughout our relationship. You know, it was something that he knew he was facing. And we talked about the struggles that he had with it. And, you know, the last thing that I got to do for Wes was I got to officiate at his memorial service. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life. And, you know, I I think about Wes pretty much every day and the influence he had on my life. His, my relationship with him is one of the greatest joys of my life, and it's also one of the, the deepest sources of pain. But you know, I wouldn't trade a second that I spent with him to avoid the pain. Because Wes has shaped who I am as a person. That's what relationships do. That's why relationships matter so much. Relationships are at the core of life, and I think this is an entirely biblical concept. Relationships are woven through the entire narrative of the Bible. It's a thread that you see throughout, and if you pull that thread away, the whole thing comes apart. 
And, and Jesus tells us this very thing. I want to look at a passage today in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. If, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just drop by the guest, uh, our, our welcome desk. We would love to give you a Bible, which is on us. We'd love for you to have one. So we're going to look at a moment in Jesus' life towards the end of his life before he went to the cross. Uh, he, because he did things so differently, because of the way that he lived, some people hated him. And a number of people in power, the religious people in power, they decided that Jesus had to go. And they were looking for a way to kill him. So Jesus was speaking in the temple just before the Passover feast, and he was teaching, and crowds were gathered around him to hear what he would say. And the Pharisees said, we're going to take this opportunity to catch him. We're going to trip him up. We're going to trap him, and that's going to give us what we need to get rid of him. So they challenged him with something that they thought would trip him up, and they asked him the question, which of the laws of God, all 613 of them, which is the most important? And they were thinking, you know, we got him. Because whatever he answers, we're just going to pick a different one and say, oh, no, you're, you're neglecting this one. And Jesus responded in a way that astounded everyone. They answered the question, which is the greatest law? Which is the greatest commandment? Here's how Jesus answered. This is in Mark 12, beginning in verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When pressed about what was most important, which of the commandments was the most important, Jesus said the most important thing is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. In Matthew, when Matthew relates the whole story, he tells of something else Jesus said. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. All of the law, all of the commandments can be summed up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Pharisees were looking for a rule. They're like, what's the key? What's that one thing that I can do that is going to get me in with God? And Jesus was saying, you guys, you're missing the point. All of the rules are ultimately pointing us into relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want life, if you want to experience the kind of life that God has for you, these are the things that you will devote your time and your energy to. You'll make these investments. But you know, asking someone to, to go that big into relationships, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's a big ask. That can be a scary proposition. Because you know, some of us have had relational investments go south. The truth of life is, is that not everything we invest in turns out the way we want to. Investments go bad. Relational investments can go bad. Maybe some of you are dealing with that right now. now I remember when I was in seminary, Diana and I, we met one of our fellow students who, she had just graduated from college, so she was a couple years younger than us, and she didn't know anybody, she lived in the same apartment complex, so we decided, hey, we're going to invest in her. Diana invested really heavily in her, and we kind of adopted her, she kind of became like part of our family while we were down there, and it was great, we spent about a year and a half just getting to know her and, and pouring into her, and then something happened where there was a misunderstanding between us. And she took something we said the wrong way, and you know, we followed up, and we're like, hey, look, that wasn't what we meant. We understand how you could have seen it that way, but look, that, that was not where we were going with this. We're sorry, yeah, but we want you to understand, here's what we meant. And you know, it didn't matter. The year and a half that we had invested in her didn't matter, because from that point on, there was nothing. We were cut off. 
And it was so painful to have invested, and, and we, we, we loved her. It was, it was, she was kind of part of our family when we were down there. And it, there was so much pain involved in just having that, like, just being cut off, won't even talk to you. And that hurts. And, and when we get in investment situations like that, we start asking questions, was this worth it? Why invest in people? This sucks. But here's the comfort that I gained from, from Jesus and from the story of the Gospels is that he experienced this very thing. You know, as Jesus began his ministry, his family thought he was nuts, and they came and tried to take him away and lock him up. He invested heavily in 12 guys, one of whom sold him for 30 pieces of silver to his death. At the moment of Jesus' greatest need when he was going to the cross, all of his friends, the closest people in his life, abandoned him except for one. There's only one of his friends at the cross with him. One of his best friends denied that he even knew him. Jesus had relational investments that went places he didn't want them to go or would have, would have rather not had them go that way. And you know, that's why the order that Jesus gives this commandment matters. It begins with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Our relationship with God needs to come first. And the reason for that is because an investment in a relationship with God is something that will never fail. Because God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And in the context of a relationship with him, we can have greater confidence in investing in others. And we know that there's someone there for us when those investments don't work out. If you're in small group, you, you learned this week about, you looked at Acts 10 and you looked at the relationship of Peter and Cornelius. You know, Peter was someone that loved God. He was a Jew. And Cornelius was also someone that loved God. He was a Gentile and a Roman. So these two never would have interacted. They were, they were historical enemies. Gentiles and Jews did not interact with one another. But because of their connection with God, because they were both pursuing a relationship with God first, God worked a vision into both of their lives that brought them together and was the beginning of healing that separation between Jew and Gentile and making one person in Christ. And in Bible study this week, we looked at Ephesians 2, and we saw that in Christ, God is reconciling all of our relationships back to himself. He's taking our broken relationship with him and making it new in Christ. He's taking our broken relationships with each other and making them new in Christ. But it begins in Christ. It begins in our relationship with Jesus, in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And if we want to experience that life, if we want to have influence like Jesus had, we need to do what he did. He invested relationally. And he invites us to do the same. Right before Jesus went to the cross, one of the things he wanted to do most, and he even said this, he said, I've desired to to have dinner with my friends. That's what he wanted to do. Those 12 that he invested in, the last thing he wanted to do was spend time in that relationship. In the book of John, chapter 13, we had a glimpse of what happened. Right before dinner, Jesus did something incredibly beautiful. He assumed the position of the lowest servant in the house, and he washed the feet of his disciples in an act of humility, in an act of service, and in an act of investment in them. But it was also an invitation. Because he asked them later, do you understand what I've done for you? And in John 13, 15, Jesus says this, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus' invitation is if you want to follow me, if you want to have influence and and live the dynamic, eternal life that, that I have, you need to do what I did. You need to invest You need to pour your life into others the way that I did. Jesus invested relationally and he calls those that would follow him to do the same. John 13, later on in in the same passage, Jesus is following up on this teaching. He says to the disciples, all men will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's the mark. How do we know we belong to Jesus if we have love for one another? And that's going to change things. It, it doesn't seem like it would, but I've experienced this. When I was 15 and I was far from, from Jesus. I was angry. I was lost. I was involved in a youth group with a community of people that lived this out. I saw in their relationship with each other that they loved each other. It was something different about their relationships that I only experienced in my family and never experienced outside of it. I was like, this is amazing. I didn't know what to do with it. It took me a while to figure it out. But watching the way that they loved each other was one of the things that most convinced me that I needed Jesus in my life. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It changes things. But we have to invest the way that Jesus did because here's the thing. Every single human being is involved in relationships, but not every single person is investing in relationship. Just because we're in a relationship doesn't mean we're investing in it. Investing is different than having a relationship. Let's take a brief look at the word invest. The dictionary defines invest this way. To devote one's time, effort, or resources to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. To devote one's time, effort, and resources to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. See, investing is intentional. Investing is seeking something. Investing costs something. You have to devote things, time, energy, effort. There's a devotional component to this. But investing also seeks to produce something. It's working for a good. An investment is working for a mutual good. It benefits both parties. When you invest in something, you're giving up something, you're giving to them so that they can have it with the expectation that there's going to be a return for you as well. That's the nature of an investment. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. And it's okay in our relationship with God to ask, what's in it for me? Peter did. He had been following Jesus for years. And at one point he's like, hey, Jesus, I've given up everything. I've left home and family and my job for you. And Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, how dare you ask that question? He said, look, no one that's left mother or father or home or job or anything will fail to receive 10 times more, 100 times more back as a result of that investment. It's a reasonable question. It's something we should ask. But here's the thing, we can approach relationships as consumers. We can approach relationships and get into relationships as if they're primarily about us and ask, treat them as if, okay, what am I getting out of this? You ever been in one of those relationships? They're horrible. You ever, are there people in your life that you've experienced that every time you're with them, it's just exhausting and they just take and they take? I was, about 10 years ago, I was invested in a group of guys and I decided to, you know, to invest a little more heavily in one. And the more I invested, the more it wasn't enough. And no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. And, and like every time we started meeting, it was a guilt trip about what I wasn't doing. And so I did the only sensible thing that I could in that situation. I got out. This is not a worthwhile investment. Like I am the wrong person to be investing in you. I'm sorry, I, I love you, but I can't help you because this isn't, this isn't healthy. So we don't want to be in relationships that drain our time, energy, and resources. We're giving them, them up as it is. We don't want it to be a, a, a wasteless and fruitless, or wasteful and fruitless endeavor. It's not a wise investment. We need to make wise investments in our relationships because here's the truth. We have limited resources. There are limited resources available to us. We only have so much time, so much energy, so many resources that we can invest. It's true of any investment. It's true of relationships. 
So please don't hear today a guilt trip of, hey, you need to be invested more. It's not more, it's just more intentionally. Because we're busy, people are busy. You only have so much time, so much energy, and so many resources to invest. That's why it's so important that we invest wisely. We want to invest well. And the more we live into that reality that our, our, our resources are limited, the better we'll be able to invest. So the question is, how many, re- how many relationships can we even maintain? What is our limit relationally? How many friends can we actually have? And I don't mean Facebook. How many friends can we actually have and maintain? What, what, are, what are the limits of our social connections? Well, they've actually done research on this, and the number is probably a little smaller than you might think. It's 150. The average person, and it, it varies depending on how hard you introvert. For some people, it's a little less. For some people, it's a little bit more. But the average person can maintain 150 relationships, and they're not all the same. See, there's this figure out there. It's called Dunbar's Number. It's put out by an anthropologist named Robin Dunbar who studied this deeply. He gave a really boring TED Talk, but I'm just going to give you the highlights. And Dunbar's number says that there's 150 relationships. So think of your relational connections as concentric circles. And here's how it breaks down. Here's how 150 breaks down. On the outside, and the more you move in, the closer people get. So on the outside, you have 100 people. And these are acquaintances. These are people that if you ran into the airport or ran into them just offhand, you'd be perfectly comfortable walking up and saying hi and having a light conversation. They're acquaintances, people that you, you have connections with. Moving in to our 35, these are colleagues. These are people you work alongside, people, you know, some, maybe some neighbors, people that you're close with. You, know, you, you share small talk, cooler talk, maybe go a little bit deeper, you know about their family, but it, it's not, it, it's still mostly kind of a surface relationship. But the heart of it is the 10 and the 15. In your 10 are your really close friends. These are the people you go out with. These are the people you spend time with. And at the very heart is the five, your BFFs. Those people that have access into the deepest parts of you, those people that are closest, they know you inside and out and they love you anyway. Those are the five. Those are the ones that really count. This is how Jesus invested if you read the Gospels. This is the way that Jesus invested In fact, Jesus actually narrowed it down a little bit. Jesus invested heavily in 12 people and more heavily in three and probably really heavily in one. And some people say that's Peter. Some people say that's John. You can kind of read the Gospels and take your pick, go investigate. But that's how Jesus did it. Jesus knew as a human being he was limited. He did not invest in everyone equally. He picked 12 and then three and then one to invest heavily in. So if Jesus couldn't invest beyond that number, what makes us think that we could? So if we want, to be, we want to have Christ-like influence in people's lives, we need to invest the way that he did. And here's the thing. That feels like a limit, only 12, only three, but it's not. And it's not because of the nature of investing. See, investments grow. When you invest things, they grow. So how does, how does investing relationally cause growth? Well, here's the thing. If you invest in five or three heavily, you pour into them, each and every one of them can invest in five or three. And then everyone that they invest in can invest in five or three. And what you see is the limited investment of your resources can have an effect beyond your wildest imagination through exponential growth as the people that you influence influence others in their own turn. And that's the growth model that Jesus set up. That's the growth model that changed the world because that's the growth model that created the church. Those 12 changed the world through that influence. That's the exciting part of investment. 
That's the part that keeps me going back over and over and over again. In 1998, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to invest in a high school freshman named Adam Hunsaker. And you know, Adam, there were some days, ooh. But you know, I watched Adam grow just like Wes. He was part of that same five. Adam was part of my five. And I spent all kinds of time with Adam. I loved Adam. We had great times together. We goofed around. But I also, I poured into him the need to put God first and to invest in others. And today, Adam is on our staff. And every day I get to come to work and I have the privilege of watching his influence multiply, watching that small influence that I put in years ago into his life. And again, that all belongs to God and other people have invested in Adam. This doesn't belong to me alone, but I have a part of it. I have a part of where he's going and who he's influencing. I love watching Adam up here. Adam's a more naturally gifted speaker than I'll ever be. So I'd love to sit and watch and just watch what God's doing in his life. It's the thing that keeps me coming back to relationships and investment. But we, we have to invest wisely. So if our time, energy, and resources are limited, how do we engage others in a wise way that's not going to exhaust us, but it's going to invest well and cause multiplication, cause those investments to grow? There's a whole litany of ways we could approach this, but I want to approach this from my experience. I want to approach this from what I was taught, from what was given to me, from what I live, because I, I absolutely believe 100% in everything I'm about to say. It's, it's how I approach ministry. It's how I approach life. I want to talk about three relationships that we can invest in that are going to cause us to grow and cause us to have influence in other people. How do we need to invest to invest like Jesus? The first thing I think we need to do is we need to invest up. We need people in our lives who are further along in their journey, who have more experience than we do, that can invest back into us and and share their wisdom. Proverbs 13, 20 says, if we walk with the wise, we will become wise. We need mentors, people that have greater wisdom than us that are willing to share it. And like I said, investing is a mutually beneficial relationship. When we find a mentor, we receive wisdom, but we give legacy. Because as they invest their wisdom in us and as that multiplies its influence, that becomes their legacy. That's the way this investment works. We need men and women to invest in us to share their wisdom. In the scope of this, we need spiritual mentors. We need academic mentors. We need professional mentors. Just to name a few of the people, Brian Winterstein, Gary Alker, Mark Martin, Bob Vogel, Joe Duke, Norman Geisler. I could go on and on and on about the people that have invested in me, shared their wisdom so that I might share it with other people. We need to find mentors. Who are the people that have mentored you? I just like to encourage you, if, if there are people in your life that have poured wisdom into you that's benefited you and others, take a moment this week and write them a thank you note. Just tell them about the influence that they've had and how grateful you are for it. Who are the people that could mentor you? Do you see people in your life or in your circles? Maybe they're out in the 35 and you want to invite them closer because people come in and out of those circles. It's, it's a fluid thing. It's not static. Who are people that you see that have wisdom and maybe you could go and ask them, hey, would you invest in me? Would you pour into my life? Uh, No one hates being asked that question. People might say no. They might not have the time or resources to give to you, but no one is going to say, go away. It just doesn't happen. But don't be passive. Investing is not a passive thing. Be active. Go and ask. 
There's people that are probably waiting to pour into others. So we need to invest up. We need to invest in people who we can follow after. But we also need to invest across. We need to invest in people that are walking where we're walking, our peers. People that are in the same place that we are. People that we kind of look around, oh, you're, you're kind of doing what I'm doing right now. And what we receive when we invest across is we receive strength and support and encouragement. And that goes both ways. It's an, it's an across-type relationship. You know, Jesus never sent the disciples out alone because he knew that they needed each other. In fact, you almost never see the word disciple as a singular in the New Testament. It's always plural. They're always together. They knew that they needed each other. And the couple times where you do see a disciple isolated, it very rarely goes well. It means they're scattered. It means they're running away. It means they're, they're saying, hey, I don't even know this guy. There's strength in numbers. There's support in numbers. You know, this is an area where I am so grateful to God for the people that he's brought into our lives through this church and through some of our other experiences. Diana and I have amazing friends. They're there for us when we need them. We've celebrated with them. We've struggled with them. We've asked hard questions, shared doubts. We've grieved with them. A couple years ago, November 3rd, 2014, I got some of the worst news of my life. Learned that my brother had lost his battle with PTSD. November 3rd, 2014. Well, the difficulty we were facing was that on November 10th, 2014, we were supposed to take our boys to Disney World. We've been planning the trip for over a year. And we were going to cancel. We were like, this is too much. We don't want to do this. And my parents came to us and said, look, you know, you need to go. Chris would want you to go. Go. And we're like, well, you know, you guys, you, you can't, you know, we were going to leave Grace with them because she was too little to go. Like, you know, we, we don't know what to do because Diana's parents were coming with us. And so we're like, we, we don't see how this is going to work. But there are men and women here that stepped into that gap. We told them that all we did was share the problem. And the next thing we know in our inbox, in our email, appeared, appeared this spreadsheet because some of our friends are OCD. <laughs> and um, so what they did was they created this spreadsheet called Grace Among Us. And they had this schedule that they had created for Grace where each of them was going to take a night for Grace so that my parents could do what they needed to do and so that we could go on this trip that we had planned. We never would have made it through that without them. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to that group of people. And they, they know who they are. Guys, we love you and we are so grateful that you are in our lives because you have gotten us down the road when we didn't think we could go, when we didn't think we could take another step. Who are those people in your life that when your life jumps the rails, they're there? They're the people that you call. You hang up the phone with your family, you call those people, and you know that they're going to be there for you. If you don't have those people in your life, I would encourage you to get into a small group. Every single one of the people that I was thinking about right then, I met in a Bible study or a small group here at LifePoint. Every single one of them. That's where you can make connections with people that are walking alongside in the same place you are, where you can find strength and encouragement along the road. I haven't been in a small group with any of those people in over a decade. But the relationship is still there. That is one of the reasons why we so encourage you week in and week out to be part of a small group or a Bible study. So we need to invest up in relationships that can provide us wisdom, and we need to invest across in relationships that can give us strength. We also need to invest back. 
We need to invest in people that are now where we once were. People that are further behind that don't have the experience that we have that could benefit from the wisdom that God has given us along our journey. Jesus' last command to his, to his followers was go and make disciples. Go and find people that don't know me. Help them to find me. Help them to follow me. That's your mission. Go. Find these people. Invest in them. Make disciples. And this is, investing back is kind of the reverse of the mentor relationship. We need mentors, but we also need to be mentors. And, and the exchange is also reverse. When we invest back, we build legacy and we impart wisdom. And you, you, we have wisdom to impart because we're further along than other people. And you know, this, I think that this, this investment, investing back, is probably the most fulfilling because it's the place where you see the growth. Through the years, I've invested in, in guys. I always have a small group of guys going in my life. I told you about two of them, Wes and Adam, and neither of them are in my five anymore. They're, they're making other fives out on their own. But to see their influence, to see their legacy, and to have just a small piece of that, I can't imagine a better way to invest my energy and my resources. I know that I'm not wasting my life because of what they're doing. So how do we invest back? There's two ways. One is evangelism, helping people find Jesus. Because there are people that are lost, that are broken the way I was, and they need a community of people in their lives that love each other the way Jesus loved them. So they can see what this is like, so they can get a bigger vision. That's why we're doing Trunk or Treat as a church, to provide a safe place for people that don't know Jesus to come and engage in a church in a way that's not going to freak them out. So engage in that one-to-one challenge. Find someone that you can be a part of with a trunk or, or volunteer to serve. You just go online and you can, you can learn about that. Donate two bags of candy and invite someone to come that maybe wouldn't come to a church service. But you know, investing back doesn't stop with helping people find Jesus. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make, help people follow me. See, find is supposed to lead to follow. It's meant to go somewhere. We're meant to grow into the life that Jesus has for us. But to grow, we need other people to help us grow. I've needed the people that invested in me so that I could take the next steps and so that I could get better. People need your influence. They need your wisdom. You have something to give. You're never too young. I have a boy 11 and a boy 8. Both of them are inviting people to trunk or treat. My 11-year-old serves every week with the 3- and 4-year-olds. He's investing back. He's not, too, he's not too young. He has something to give people that are further back behind him. And you're never too old. This one's really important. If you're here and you feel like, you know, I've kind of made my best contribution, my career is done, my nest is empty, I want to challenge you with this thought. You can have your greatest impact now. Because you have accumulated years of wisdom. You're further along the road than most. There's things that you can invest back into people. You can have and build your greatest legacy now. And if you're in that category, I would encourage you, again, just like when you need a mentor, if you need someone to mentor, ask. Don't be passive. Don't wait for people to come to you. If you see someone, say something. Hey, look, I see this in you. Would you let me invest in you and help you develop that? Again, no one's going to say, very few people are going to say no to that. Because when someone sees something in us, it, it brings us to life. Investing back is your legacy. So many of you here do this well. So many of you do it well. 
I was talking just the other day with one of the people that served in our children's ministry, a guy named Jeff Saylor, and he was telling me all about the kids that he's invested in. He's been doing children's ministry for more than a decade. And he knows all of these kids, some of the kids that he originally invested in are graduating college now. And, you know, he's, they're not in his five anymore or in his ten, but he's looking at what they've accomplished and who they are now, and there's just this sense of legacy and pride that he has a piece of influence in their lives. That's what God is calling us to when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's designed to give us wisdom and to help us give others legacy, to give us strength and to give others strength that they need, to give us legacy and to give others wisdom in an incredible exchange and investment. That's why we need to invest relationally. So how are you investing? How are your investments going? Who are you investing in? I'd encourage you to ask these questions. Pray that God would reveal someone that you can invest up into and across and, and back. You will never regret those investments. Yes, your time, time, energy, and resources are limited, but you can take those limits and you can see them multiply if you just invest, if we just invest. You know, maybe right now you're in a place where that's hard, where you know, you're dealing with an investment that went badly. You know, I would, if, you, if you're hurting right now, we would love to pray for you right after the service. There's going to be people over to my left, up in the front of the room, over to your right. They'd love to spend some time praying with you and for you if you're hurting right now. But don't let the hurt keep you from investing. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you call us to live in relationship with one another, that you call us, you've you've made us to reflect who you are. You are a God who exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. And you've made us to reflect that in our relationships with each other, that we best reflect the image of God when we do it together. I just pray that you would make us a church that has a vision for investing relationally, where we invest up to gain wisdom, we invest across to find strength, and we invest back to impart wisdom and to build legacy. There's nothing greater that I can think of. And I just pray that as we make those investments that you would multiply our limited time, energy, and resources for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.